Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you, then, then that which we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. And so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel, any other gospel to you, then what we have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a, it's a great morning to open up your truth and be anchored in it. Would you bless us? Fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Uh, God, uh, teach us, Lord, today your truth. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the epistle to the Galatians, you've been through it probably a couple of years ago. Uh, It fulfills a crucial role in Christianity. We need this book today. Galatians, in Galatians, Paul seeks to destroy every argument that would, uh, men would conceive of that would try to add men's work to salvation. And trust me, Satan is sending men into the church and men are arising from the church to add to the simple good news message of the gospel. Galatians then really is a, this, this is the book that we go to. It's the legal defense of the gospel of grace. Salvation by grace and not by works. The early church used it as a textbook defense against those who would try to, again, add to the message of Christ. So Paul begins here in verse 6 after the introductions to the book here in the letter. He begins with an accusation. He's accusing this church. And he's accusing them of turning away from their salvation and now believing in what he says is another gospel. Is there another gospel? Well, he says there isn't. But men sure do try to present other gospels, other ways to God, and they are very crafty, and Satan is behind that, of course. So, Paul um, considered this other gospel that had now come into the Galatian church as an attack against God and against his word. And he took it very personal. You see, Paul uh, had not been gone all that long from the Galatia, the area of Galatia, which is actually Derby, Lystra, when you read, look on your maps, Iconium. It's that whole area that we call, it's a part of Asia Minor there in Turkey. It's a whole group of churches that Paul had established on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. So he had traveled through this area, established these churches, and now he's writing back. They were uh, this group of people that had come in, they were claiming to represent Jesus. By the way, not everyone who says they're with Jesus are with Jesus. Just so you know that. Got to have a little bit of discernment. 
They claim to represent Jesus, saying that they believe that Jesus did die on the cross and then rose again from the grave. Uh, and that they, they had a backing from the apostles, but this is not true. They were changing the terms of salvation from the simple faith in Jesus alone. Uh, and they were adding a plus. Now you should always be weary, leery of anybody who adds a plus to salvation. They were adding the law, the keeping of the law. Now you need to be a good person. You need to be able to keep these rules and standards of God. They were also adding this Sabbath laws and rules as well, feasts, uh, and then also the circumcision of the males as well. They're trying to bring them back under Judaism. And uh, Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel that I preached to you. He was furious at them. And then he says here in verse 6, I marvel. I'm amazed that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. The grace of God is amazing, isn't it? Kyle, you can't be saved any other way. You can't earn anything. You didn't do anything. You can't stand before God and say, thank you, Jesus, but I did this to make sure it was complete. No, you can't. It's insulting, isn't it, to God? You're turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Satan has been using this in the church. Uh, It's one of his greatest attacks within the church, always throughout history is that you start with his faith in Christ and you begin to add all of these things. It's, it becomes a religious experience then as you add all of these other things. I use religion in that way that it's, it's a way that uh, we say it's man's approach to try to be presentable before God. That's kind of what religion really is. So this, this has been an attack by the enemy for a long time. Paul calls it a different gospel. When you add anything to it, you now have negated it. You cannot be saved any other way but just by simply by what Christ has done. And so we see later on in history, we've just came through a time a few hundred years back, we call it the Reformation. But really, it was just a, a way that we can know historically that the Catholic Church, maybe some of you have come from the Catholic Church, and I'm going to talk about the Catholic Church and talk about the what we call as the Evangelical Church, which is the churches who believe the Bible is absolutely the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And, and we have also other movements that uh, uh, we see happening that are a mixture of all kinds of things within the church. But for this uh, uh, example here, we look at the Catholic Church, and at the beginning, it is... It, it, begun to add all kinds of things, sacraments, things that you did to try to earn more merit. And, uh, of course, we know they were uh, charging for penance and for indulgences. You would uh, pay for merits before God in order to secure your salvation. Just all kinds of things that, that uh, we see during this Reformation that Luther, Martin Luther, he uh, took a stand against. That was a historical time. It's really hard to stand up against well, you know, the church, uh, when it drifts away from the simple truth of the gospel message. And listen, the Catholic Church isn't the only one. Churches have been falling by the wayside. I don't know if you've been awake 
uh, here. Some of us that are a little bit older, in the last 40 years, 50 years, we've seen denomination after denomination walk away from the simple trust in God's Word and faith alone in Christ, and, and now they've been shipwrecked. And so Martin Luther used this book, he called it uh, My Keith, uh, which was his affectionate term for his wife. He said, this is like my wife uh, right here, this book. It's helped me a lot to remember God's done everything. Man can do nothing for his salvation. So let me ask you this question. Are we facing another crossroads in history? Are we witnessing an, an historic assault Upon the Christian church. I think that we are. Are we seeing the signs? If you read your Bible. You'll see that the Bible says that in the latter days. There's going to be an abandonment. From the truth. From the Bible. Satan's going to be a part of it. It's going to be a great deception. And the Bible says many will fall away. During that time. Is Are we in that time? I believe that we are. I believe we're seeing the stirrings of what we're seeing that this, even the church itself is uh, being deceived by the enemy. The Bible says that what the enemy is going to do is he's he's got a plan, Satan does. And he's going to use Jesus or the name of Christ and he's going to end up deceiving the world. The Bible says in the last days, in the tribulation time, Satan will arise. He will deceive the whole world into worshiping him as God. That's always been his goal. But he's going to craft it in such a way that he'll be the anti-Christ. They'll think they're coming to Christ and coming to God, but they won't be. They'll be actually falling for the greatest lie the world has ever seen. So Paul's saying, listen, I marvel that you are turning away from the gospel. Now it always... I always marvel when I see those who I've known walk with Christ, serve Christ, seemingly be, you know, in a legitimate relationship with Christ, and then they walk away. Maybe you've seen some in your time. People that you know. Some of them no longer professing faith in Christ. It amazes me. And I, and I ask this uh, question here. I, I often wondered why there is a pull to walk away from the simple faith in Christ and then begin to accept this, you know, addition to it or add my own efforts into it. Man just has a tendency to want to do that, doesn't he? Well, here's a few reasons why you'd say, well, Paul, why, why would anybody turn away from such good news like that, that Christ has done everything? You'd have to be insane to move away from that. Well, listen, man's got some problems. We got problems. One of them is we're incurably prideful. And so this message of of a works added to what Christ has done, it feeds our pride. You know what? I I, I, I don't really need, you know, fully your help. Thanks for what Jesus has done. But, you know, I'm going to take it from here, God. Whoa. Trouble. That's trouble, isn't it? This idea of self-righteousness. We want to, man within himself in his fallen state, even in our flesh, want to prove that we are right uh, before God. That somehow in our self-righteousness that we're producing something that's meritorious for God. We can't do it. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Man doesn't have the ability to earn 
one part of his salvation, to pay for one of his sins that he's committed. We can't do it. It's impossible. But man sure wants to try. Religion fills man's need to save himself, doesn't it? And so this slippery slope uh, back into that man really simply refuses to completely humble himself at the foot of the cross and just say, listen, God, I'm not going to be saved any other way. If you don't die for me, if you didn't come to pay for everything that I've done, I, I'm completely lost. Only because of what you are done, have done can I be saved. We have to rest in that, don't we? It's uh, humbling, isn't it? Nothing of us, there's no good thing in us that's ever going to be meritorious before God. It's very humbling to come to the cross, and men don't want to come to the cross that way. And so, it's still amazing when you see people turn away from that, and turning away is what's really happened. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says, For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. And that's something we're going to see at the end time. Can, here's the question, he seems to be saying that man can lose his salvation. Can we fall away from our salvation? Well, listen, the Bible says that we're sealed with the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's begun a work in us. He says that he's put the Spirit of God in our hearts. You talked about it, Kyle. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts as a guarantee of what's to come, the Bible says. John 14, 2 Corinthians 21, 22. But let me just say this. I don't know the human heart, and you don't either. The church is bigger than the, what we call the spiritual church, the true believers who've committed their lives to Christ, trusted alone in Christ alone. The church is full of all kinds of things. Listen, if you don't understand that, this big umbrella that we call Christianity, it's full of much darkness as well. I mean, for those who name Christ and name Christianity, we see a lot of wickedness being done. A lot of other uh, works that are needed in order for salvation. There's a big pool, isn't there, around what we call Christianity. So when the Bible talks about the church and, and, uh, and Paul writes to the Galatians, uh, even he does not know everyone's hearts, but he just knows people are turning away, turning back over to something else. So it's a little bit painful for us, isn't it? We're shocked sometimes when we see who's fallen away. So are we in the last days, uh, in the last days when Satan will begin to draw the world into worship of a false Christ? I think we are. Now, let me just say this. It's deceptive. It's very deceptive. You see, Satan comes within the church and these doctrines begin within the church and they are, uh, it's a slow move. It's something that's not always easily to, uh, to detect. In fact, if you do not know your Bibles, you could fall for many of these. And thousands upon thousands, and I'm going to say even millions have fallen for that within the church, uh, even in these last 20 years. I explain, I'm going to read a few things to you, but it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4, it says, Let no one deceive you. Well, does that mean that you could be deceived? Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first 
and the man of sin is revealed, speaking of Satan's uh, plan here. He is, he is kept at bay from being really completely deceptive <laughs> in such a way here. It's turned down, it's dialed down because of the Spirit of God upon this earth and because of the church that's still here. There's a light and a truth that's come. But the Bible says there's a day that God's going to rapture the believers, his followers, out of this world. And you talk about darkness and deception. We're going to plunge into that. Now, are we close to that? I believe that we are. It says in verse 7, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. That restrainer, speaking of the church, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, he says, listen, this is another gospel. So, look with me at your text here. Verse 6 says, a different gospel. Verse 7 says, perverting the gospel. Verse 8 says, any other gospel. Verse 9 repeats that, any other gospel. Gospel, 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 gospel. Where's the attack going to be? On the gospel. The gospel. What does that mean? It's 77 times in the New Testament. What is gospel? It's euangelion. Does that, does that help you? In the Greek, it just means evangelon, or we call about evangelism, or it really just means good news. Every time it's used, it means good news. It doesn't mean anything else. Always means the same thing good news. Man needs good news, doesn't he? I love good news. This isn't complicated. There's good news. It's a very simple message of good news. But Satan is very motivated to attack that one thing man needs, which is the good news. (laughs) That Jesus has done everything for man and we can trust in him, yield our lives to him. So, it's called all kinds of things in the Bible. Uh, Jesus called it the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he called it. The good news of the kingdom. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. In Mark 1.15, Jesus calls for Galilee to repent and believe the gospel. Peter called it the word of the gospel. It's a message, isn't it? It's, it's encapsulated within a message, the word of the gospel. Paul, he used all kinds of things for it. Of course, he wrote most of the New Testament, but he used the word gospel a lot. Let me just read to you some of those. He calls it the gospel of the grace of God. That's a good good word for it. It's the gospel or the good news of the grace of God. It's the gospel of God. It's his gospel. It's the gospel of his son. It's also attached to the son of God. It's the gospel of Christ, which means anointed one, or it's the gospel of God's salvation, which is Jesus Christ the Christ. He calls the gospel my gospel in Romans chapter 2 a couple of times, which means really he, Jesus delivered the gospel to Paul personally. Now you and I didn't get it that way, but Jesus actually showed up personally, explained the gospel to him. So Paul had a certain ownership of the gospel, was my gospel. And uh, of course he preached it all over the world. Then it says it's Christ's gospel. Again, the gospel which I like, of, of the glory of Christ, which adds a little bit more, the gospel of your salvation, and then my favorite one is it's pretty lengthy, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. So what does all that mean? Let me just say this. Very important that we understand this about the gospel. 
It needs to come out of our heart of thanksgiving to God for the gospel. What is it? It's a person. That's what, the gospel is a person. It's the person of God. The gospel is Jesus. It's not a methodology. It isn't about steps or procedures or any of those things. It's about a personal relationship with a living God. The gospel is God. Now look at this again. It says, you are turning away so soon from him. When you turn away from the gospel, you turn away from God. Turn away from Jesus. God's love toward us. I'm surprised you're turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ. He says in verse 7, this is not another gospel. There are some who trouble you. They want to pervert the gospel. Why do they pervert the gospel? Because it's God. It's Christ. It's Jesus. Satan doesn't want us to be in relationship with God. And to pervert that is to add uh, uh, a perversion to the gospel. There's only one gospel. and The Bible says it very clearly. There's only one salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through me. It's a person. You have to come to Jesus and give your life to him. He fulfilled everything for salvation. So it's very personal. Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If you say in your heart, I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ and my church and something else that comes to your mind that you feel you must do in order to be saved, then that's another gospel. It's not the same one. But we, but we can easily be uh, tempted to add those. Churches add those things. Listen, liberal churches have added those things. Now, we talked about the Catholic Church adding those things. If you, you know, if you ask someone, uh, sometimes, you know, what are you trusting? And they'll say, well, I'm trusting in, G- in Jesus and, 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 you know, and my church or in these works here or the things that I need to do in order to complete my salvation. Wait a minute, you missed it. You missed it. It's simple, but we can miss it. And we uh, start to begin to trust in really in ourselves and our own good works. And maybe I can get all this done. And if I do this and, you know, I need this authority over me of something besides Christ in order to make sure that I get there. No, no, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. And you know what? Many have been deceived. It's, it's Satan's biggest and most effective way to work within the church. It's a perversion against the gospel. Now, let me ask you this question. How is that happening today? Let me just give you some things. I want to read some things. (laughs) I think some of this might curl your hair. It should curl your hair. I don't know if you want curly hair. I used to have curly hair. I used to get perms. Man, and you know, you do some things, and then later on in your life, you have to look at those things, right? And uh, that's those are sad pictures, but that was, uh, you know, what is it, the... Is it Richard Simmons? Is that what's? No. What's the exercise guy? Yeah, okay, yeah. Boy, that's really sad too, yeah. But I had kind of a little bit of, anyway, I digress. 
Yes. So, what does that look like today? Let me just give you a couple of things of what's been, uh, how Satan is using uh, the church today to begin to form another gospel. And what do those things look like? Today, uh, this false gospel looks like this. Now, you might be surprised. It looks like love. Love. Love and unity. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? Because God is love, isn't he? And so you say, well, who wouldn't want to be loving? We're supposed to be loving, aren't we? And then unity. Wow, the church should be in the unity. We should be uniting together with other believers, shouldn't we? So those are really two great terms. But here's the problem. It's love without truth. Hmm. Well, that really isn't love, is it? Because love tells the truth. But nowadays, the church is being pressured to be loving, to be ecumenical, gather together in love and join everybody together. But that's a slippery slope, isn't it? Got to be careful how we do that. We have to do that within the bound of truth. Because then we could be gathering some things in the name of love. We call it the ecumenical movement. Or it really is leading to what we're calling a Unitarian thing. It's a slippery slope into really all roads then get us to God. If we want to be as loving as we can be, we can't exclude anybody. And that goes beyond those who name Christ, uh, but even out to those of every faith. And uh, because that's the most loving uh, approach of all. And you'd be surprised who's heading that direction. Uh, The church is fixated on unifying all that name Christ and even stretching the gospel to include false religions, Islam, Eastern religions, cults like Mormonism, Jehovah Witness. Uh, There's a great embrace. Movements to watch. Let me give you some names. We used to talk about the liberal church that no longer believes that the Bible is the truth. You've got to watch out for that because if you don't believe the Bible is truth, you can believe a lot of things. That's the liberal church. But nowadays, they're the ones who are out front. We can recognize all of that. But now we see the, what we call the emerging church. It's a group of a lot of young, uh, really educated, sharp men who've gone through seminary. And uh, now they're really preaching to this uh, part of the church that we call postmodern. It's a move of relativism. If you haven't been around uh, for a while or listening in tune of these circles, uh, really it's a thing of... Um, can we really know the truth? Is absolute truth really obtainable? We might need to set aside the pursuit of absolute truth in order to reach, uh, you know, a broader truth. Uh, Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and uh, we can put all of that together. It's coming from this kind of group here. Uh, I'll start with this um, emerging church. The postmodernized evangelicals is what they're called. Here's what they believe. Certainty is overrated. Okay? Assurance is arrogance. You can't just thump the Bible and say that's the truth. That's arrogance. Better to keep changing your mind and keep your theology in a constant state of flux, they say. You can't just say we've cornered the market on truth. Well, listen, you might not have, but God has. And he's given it. It's called the Bible. 
He's cornered it. Stephen Blevins says, there is no such thing as theology. There's only contextual theology. What does he mean by that? These guys who are in the churches today, by the way, leading thousands upon thousands. These are not churches of a hundred. These are churches of thousands who reach tens of thousands with their books as well. And he's an author. And he says, really, what does that mean, this contextual theology? It means man's put theology in his own private context. You get to put it in your context. I put truth in my context. You put truth in your context. Okay. Brian McLaren, another big speaker for this emerging church. It's this way to reach, really, this postmodern world. We've got to back this theology thing down. He says, there is no such thing, uh, excuse me, suggests that clarity itself is a, of dubious value. You don't want to be somebody who speaks with great clarity like you know exactly the truth. He says, he clearly prefers ambiguity and equivocation, and his books are therefore full of deliberate doublespeak. In his introduction to what he calls a generous orthodoxy, it's probably a lot more generous than we've been led to believe, the way to salvation and the way to God. She says, he says, I have gone out of my way to be provocative, mischievous, and unclear, reflecting my belief that clarity is sometimes overrated. A common theme that runs throughout most of McLaren's writing is the idea that there is a great danger in the quest to be right. It's very deceptive, isn't it? A guy named Steve Chalky says this. He says, the lost message of, this is the title of his book, The Lost Message of Jesus. We lost him. We didn't know it. We thought he was right there in the Bible. But we lost him. He's going to help us find him. So he denies the biblical record of atonement, which is what Christ has done to provide salvation through his death on the cross. He calls it cosmic child abuse. I mean, he's not outside of the church. He's in the church. And he's in the seminaries as well. Many of these guys teach in our, what we call our Bible college, our Bible seminaries. He calls, it, he calls it a twisted version of events, the atonement. Hmm. Morally dubious and a huge barrier to the truth. You can't pound people with Jesus' death on the cross. Okay? Now, the constant advance we see here, uh, there's many, but uh, we're seeing it also within the, um, around the Catholic Church today. I know we already talked about that, but, um, and, and it really branches from not only within the Catholic Church, but into the evangelical church. There's some interesting things that have happened recently, but you've been hearing them. Uh, the Catholic Church is really moving toward Unitarian position, and you're listening to the Pope. He really is beginning to reach out to everyone. And, uh, but it's interesting because one of the first places he's reaching out, the deepest, is toward those that are a part of the evangelical church, which are some names that we would have heard a lot who would believe that the Bible is the only truth and uh, we have to hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. We don't place the church above Scripture. But um, Joel Osteen was invited uh, with another group of evangelical leaders to meet with um, the Pope uh, recently. Of course, you know him. He has a mega church, and um, he met with Pope Francis at the Vatican about a week and a half ago, July 7th, I think. So he ministers to about 52,000 worshipers weekly, and he reaches millions through his books and television broadcasts. But it's, and listen, I can't judge his, I'm not judging his salvation. 
I'm just judging the, the path that he looks like he's moving his followers on. Okay, that's, listen, I, I don't have the ability to judge a man's heart. I can just judge what he's saying. I think he's on a slippery slope. Here's what he says. He says, uh, I was honored and humbled to visit, speaking the Vatican, seeing the Pope give mass to 100,000 people, which within the Catholic Church is one of the ways uh, of requirements of salvation. You cannot be saved unless you continue to take and receive the mass. So he was overwhelmed and honored to watch 100,000 people receive this. He says, I love the fact that he has made the church more inclusive, not to make it smaller, but to make it larger and to take everybody in. And so that just resonated with me, he said, Osteen told the Houston Chronicle. Now, of course, some others visited as well. Kenneth Copeland also visited. James Robison, if you know him. You, some of us that are older, used to be a Baptist uh, pastor. Very uh, big on the, uh, on the television. Uh, uh, he, 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 after he heard the, Pope, uh, the Pope's call for a uniting of the uh, Orthodox and the Evangelical Church within the Catholic Church, he released a statement after meeting with the Pope, and he said, He was blessed to be a part of perhaps an unprecedented moment between evangelicals and the Catholic Pope. He he described the Protestant delegation's private meeting with the leader of the Roman Catholic Church as an intimate circle of prayer, discussion, and, and lunch to discuss not only seeing Jesus' prayer answered, which is that we would be one, a little bit of distortion of Jesus' prayer, but um, he wanted to see this, he believed, uh, uh, for the church to be one, and um, but that every believer would become a bold, joyful witness for Christ. He said, in describing the ecumenical gathering as a miracle, Mr. Robinson said, this is something God has done. God wants his arms around the world. He wants Christians to put his arms around the world by working together. And, and, and now, does, should the church work together with the world? Absolutely. We serve and we you know, honor and we do good works and we help the poor and all those things. But this is including more than that. It's meaning, you know what, we really are all one together. And Paul says, wait a minute. Um, they all can't be one if there's many ways to Jesus, and it's not through Christ alone, through faith alone, man has to humble himself and kneel before Christ and trust in him, then, then we've got other gospels going, don't we? And Paul says, listen, there isn't another gospel. You can't be saved that way. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? So I could read on and on uh, if you want uh, to. Oh, I wish I could read on and on. But It goes on in this article to say Pope Francis had invited more than a dozen North American Protestant leaders to discuss the question, many of them representing the evangelical movement as a whole. They're the leaders of great evangelical movements. He says, can we find common ground in order to advance the life and ministry of Jesus so more people can experience the joy of Christian faith? He doesn't mean more people can receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but more people who can at least by name come in under the umbrella as long as they name Jesus, whether he is their salvation uh, alone or not. Subtle, isn't it? Sounds great. Why didn't it work for Paul? You know, why didn't it work for him? 
He could have thrown this big umbrella around the Galatian churches and said, oh, you know, it's all good. You name Jesus. They believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter if they add, uh, you know, man begins to be uh, his own righteous and he can add to the works of the cross and, and somehow man will stand before God and, uh, and he'll, you know, Christ have done his work and man will have done his work and now man will be able to be saved, you know, by his own works as well as Christ. Paul said it very clearly, didn't it? We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. Why? So, lest any man should boast. No man will ever come and be self-righteous before God and said, you know, I completed the work. Uh, We can't do it. Slippery slope. It's something, though, that the whole world can get uh, in on. He added this. This is the last part of this. He says, can we find this common ground? He says the ecumenical meeting was a part of Pope Francis' uh, ongoing effort to bring unity among Christians. Previously stating in public remarks, he says divisions among us, but also divisions among the communities, which means how do you come to Christ? How are you saved? That's the divisions that we're talking about. He says evangelical Christians, Orthodox Christians, Catholic Christians, but why divide? Why be divided? All those are fine. We must try to bring about unity because it's all about unity, isn't it? You're going to see that many, many more times within the... I'm talking about the bigger, broader church. Not every church opens the Bible, teaches the Bible every day. But we're seeing that. It's very subtle and people are saying, yeah, that sounds really good. Why? Because we're under a lot of pressure, aren't we? Because when you name Christ alone, you become like Paul, persecuted, (laughs) That was a part of what the early Christians, many died for faith alone in Christ in the early church. Many have died throughout the centuries. Many are on the mission field today dying for Christ alone. And we're going to have to go back and apologize to them. Hey guys, you didn't have to give your life. You could have made it out a lot broader. Spared yourself that persecution. But the gospel's never changed. There's only ever been one gospel. It is only in Christ that man can be saved. There isn't another one. We can't add to that. It's not Christ and we can't do it. So we look here. I'm going to move forward here. Pope Francis' uh, call for unity goes beyond Christian community, of course. During his recent visit to the Middle East, Francis invited Israeli, Jewish, and Muslim leaders to join him in prayer for peace in the Vatican, which means he believes that all of these men can pray to their gods and their gods can help bring peace for the whole world. Everyone uh, can come together, pray, call on their God, and we can all have unity together, have peace uh, together. And so some of them will. Shimon Perez, Palestinian president, Abdu Mazin, will be joined by a delegation of rabbis, Islamic imams, and Israeli Druze, community leaders, and they're all going to join together for this. Now, verse 8 says, and, and, and I'm wrapping up, trust me. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Even if an angel comes, Paul said, even if I come back and I want to twist this gospel message, let them be accursed. What does that mean? Let them be damned to hell. That's pretty strong words, huh? Paul wasn't flexible with the gospel, was he? He knew there's only one way for men to be saved, and that's the only way men will be saved. 
He wasn't like, you know, it isn't that big a deal. We can just all, you name Jesus, I name Jesus, we're all good. No, not according to Paul. These Judaizers named Jesus. They said they believed that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave. They just needed to do a little more. Paul says, listen, let him be accursed. The interesting thing to me is that the last time the word gospel is used in the Bible, it's in Revelation. It's pretty interesting. The last time the gospel is used, of course, the gospel has been preached to the whole world. And in the last days, in the seven-year tribulation, the Bible says God's going to raise up Israel again. They're going to turn to Christ. 144,000 male virgin Jews will be missionaries to the world like the world has never seen. They will powerfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation in Him alone to the entire world as hope to mankind. They will have covered the globe. The Bible says at one point in, in the book of Revelation, though, man has stopped. They don't want to hear it anymore. They've stopped completely. So what does God do? He sends out Revelation fourteen six. He says, listen, you can hear it uh, by, uh, by an angel this time. And it's going to be one of my angels. But at this point, the world isn't going to hear it. God isn't sending them out so they can be the witness to the world. Because man is the witness to the world. You and I are the witness to the world. We're the hope for the gospel. We're the light of the world, aren't we? No one's going to know it if we don't preach it. We're it. But at this end time, since man is shut down, God's going to send angels there just as a testimony to say, you know you've all heard it. And the Bible says they're going to fly throughout the air. I saw, he saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. But men have stopped hearing it. But they're going to hear it again, right before Jesus comes back. It's the gospel, isn't it? It's powerful, amazing. He says, let him be accursed. Verse 9 says, as we have said before, and so I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Point of importance, second time he says it, he repeats the verse. It doesn't happen very many times in the Bible that God says, I'm going to have to say that again. Write that down again. This is one of them. That's how important this verse is. There's only one way for us to be saved. We have to trust in Christ alone. That's Why is the world so upset over that message? They hate the idea that you present only one way to be saved. Well, listen, it's the only way to be saved. You can't be saved another way. God only has one son. He only gave one gift. He gave everything that he had. Man has to bow his knee to that one way. You can't save yourself. I don't care how smart you are, how diligent you are, how dedicated you are, how self-sacrificing you are, how self-righteous you are. You can't pay for even one of your sins before God. You're hopeless, helpless. All of us are without Christ. That's why there's nothing on the planet being attacked more than this one thing. The gospel, Jesus Christ. The world hates the gospel. Many of these men I'm talking to you about within the church, they despise the idea that there is one way and one way alone to be saved. And man can't participate. All he can do is receive it by faith. Trust Christ for his salvation, the forgiveness of his sins. I know we all know that. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's a simple message, isn't it? But boy, you want to light something on fire? Preach Jesus Christ crucified. Call men to turn to Christ to be saved, to bow their knee and to yield to him and him alone, that God has sent this great salvation. You'll see trouble come your way. In fact, the Bible says, if you want to do that, you can guarantee that you will be persecuted. Verse 10, close. He says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Why don't we share Jesus? Well, we're, we're afraid of men, aren't we? We're not, uh, we're not so uh, overwhelmed with the amazing grace of the gospel of God. We're more uh, afraid of our uh, reputation with men. We would rather please man than please God. Listen, I know it. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not unlike you. I feel that tension when you're going to share Jesus with somebody or share the hope with somebody. It's like, ah, you know, I could lose this friendship. I can lose this relationship. Yeah, you know, Satan is making sure we'd rather please men. Paul's saying this. Listen, he said, if I wanted to please men, I wouldn't preach this gospel. If I wanted to be a man pleaser and be accepted by everybody, you got to beware when you see the church being accepted by everybody. We're probably not preaching the gospel anymore because the true church, persecution has always followed the church. But you know what? Do you want to be persecuted? I don't. But God says, listen, you've got to be willing to suffer persecution for the gospel's sake. We are the only light. There is no other light. There is no other one who's going to present the gospel. It's me and you, right? So how powerful is the gospel in our lives? How much does that consume us each day? You don't got a lot else to do. Let me just tell you, I know you think you got a lot to do. It doesn't really matter what you're doing other than being a witness for Christ. Nothing else is going to be eternal. So I know, I know we've got a lot of stuff to do. And there's a lot of plans on our agenda, but none of them are going to mean anything when we leave this life. And trust me, we're all leaving this life, aren't we? You, you're not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. I was just thinking about that during the conference. I thought, you know, I've only got about 25 years, man, if God's great to me, of strength left in me to be a light for Christ. I can name how many days that is. That's all I got. Do I need to be busy representing Jesus? Yeah, it's all I've got. Recategorize the gospel in our lives. We have to, don't we? It has to change gears. Men are lost. They're perishing. Listen, they might persecute you, but then they'll come to Jesus. You know, Kyle, you might have uh, not liked everybody sharing Jesus with you. Uh, you know, at some point you look at that and you say, well, I didn't really appreciate that. I didn't like my dad telling me uh, again and again. We hate that. We're an enemy against cross till we turn. Men need to be saved. Paul says, listen, I was a persecutor. I put men to death, Paul did, for preaching the gospel. And he says, I understand, but I needed Jesus. Paul says, I don't care if you beat me, whip me, stone me. In Derby, he was, you know, stoned to death, left for dead, Woke back up, got back up, went back into the city, kept doing the job, right? He said, listen, I understand. Nope, nothing, nope, I'm not, I'm not taking this personal. I get it, but I'm still going to share Jesus. It's powerful, isn't it? I don't think I can say much more about that other than this. A few things wrap up right here. 
Identify the false gospel. We need to know our Bibles. It's a slippery slope. There's a compromise within our own churches. Many are falling away from the gospel and the word of God. Separate yourself from false teachers. That's important. You say, well, it's everywhere. Well, listen, I don't, you know, I know you're in this fellowship. You hear the Bible every week, which is great. You're in a rarity. It's rare to see that and to honor the word of God as the truth. More rare every day. But when you see it and you're in a circle there that is adding to the gospel, you got to get away from it. Paul says, move away. Get away from those teachers. We have to move ourselves away. And then do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be afraid to share the gospel. And then finally, Paul says, you know, preach the gospel. Proclaim it. Now we do that in love. I love every man, but I love him enough to tell him the truth. And when the church stops, uh, starts to put love above truth or sacrificing one from another, it's, it's a different gospel. And uh, Lord, help us.